Welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, a show dedicated to podcast advertising. If you're a podcaster or an advertiser and you're wondering how you can take advantage of this rapidly growing space, you're in the right place. On the program, we'll discuss strategies and techniques to optimize your experience with podcast advertising. Hello, my name is Heather Osgood and welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook. I am excited to bring Steve Pratt from Pacific Content on the show today. Steve has been in the industry for a very long time. And actually, I'm I'm surprised that our paths haven't crossed at at this point. Uh, Today is the first time I'm getting to have a conversation with Steve. Steve, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I I can't believe we haven't met either. So this is really nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It is. It's great to talk to you. And I think uh, we were just discussing how we both feel like we've been in the industry for a long time, you longer than I have. But it's nice to speak with someone who really does have a lot of institutional knowledge in this space. And I was hoping that we could start the conversation out by having you just tell us a little bit about your background and exactly what Pacific Content does. Yeah, Pacific Content is a, a a weird little company. We started in 2014, and we'd seen a few trends in in the media industry where we saw more people having more ways to bypass advertising on linear traditional media. We saw companies like Red Bull thinking and acting more like media companies and making programming that was getting huge audiences and even licensing that content back to traditional media companies. And we also saw the return or like the second big wave of podcasting happening with the launch of Serial and and the Apple putting the podcast app in as a default on iPhones. And so a group of us had worked at Canada's public broadcaster, uh, CBC, in the first wave of podcasting, which I would characterize as like 2004, 2005 is when it first took off. And um, so there's a group of us that were very passionate about it, who were in on it early. And when these kind of three big factors came into play, we were like, you know what, maybe there is a business to be had of being very early in helping more companies like a Red Bull learn to think and act like media companies and make shows that people really love listening to and that attract large audiences and be the only one doing it in the podcast space or be the first one doing it in the podcast space. That's the company we created. And oddly, like we pitched Slack as our first meeting to talk about it. And two meetings later, they said yes. And so we kind of had to figure out how to do it with them. And they were amazing. And the show had a really great launch and we're still doing it seven years later. And I can't, I can't believe some of the companies we're working with and the shows we're making and all that sort of stuff. So I, it's been a weird journey, but I feel really fortunate. And we're working with an amazing group of people and clients. Having spent 20 years in TV and radio, I, I don't think I ever would have believed that saying this type of work is the most creative and satisfying work I've ever done, but it's like hands down the most fun I've ever had. That's so fascinating to me. I love hearing you say that. I'm curious what about it makes it so fascinating and rewarding. I think because every project is a brand new problem to be solved with creativity. Mm. And I, I think in you know my experience in more of a traditional media career was you're either working for a show or a network that has a specialty and you're making the same type of show or the same show over and over again. But every single time we get a new client, it's, you know, it's a different group of people in a different company, talking to a different audience, different subject matter, different industry. And they, and every single company we work with has 
a lot of unique characteristics that will help them figure out how to be successful in podcasting. And it's almost like this really amazing, fresh puzzle to go solve every time you work with somebody new. And then even when it's a season two, it's a different set of problems or you have editorial problems and then you have audience development or marketing problems and all of those things need creative solutions. And so if you have a brain that's wired to big creative problem solving, we have a lot of really, a lot of really smart people that have come in to work with us that it just feels like a lot of really engaging thinking and, and creativity. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally see that. And I think that you're spot on because when you work for one company and you're doing, you're solving the exact same problem day after day or year after year, I think it can be challenging sometimes because it's like, oh gosh, we've already solved these problems. Like what next? It's like trying to be creative around same line of reasoning or the same brand can be pretty challenging. And so I see what you're saying that every podcast, every brand that you work work with is like a, a new project, right? It's this new set of problems, a new set of solutions. And that I, I would think that definitely seems like it would be amazing. And I, as I was looking through your website, I was so impressed because you guys work with Facebook and Dell and Audible, which seems like it would be the hardest to me to create audio content for Slack, Zendesk, Morgan Stanley. I mean, just a, a lot of huge names just in the corporate world. What do you think has attracted those large companies? Obviously starting with Slack, I'm sure was a really good foot in the door, but what attracts those large companies to come to you to create this um, branded content? I think there's a variety of different things. I think one, just the concept of being able to make your own show and build your own audience of people who are voluntarily opting in to spend a half hour with your company over and over again, it's a really compelling value proposition for podcasts. And, and if you can turn the light on for people who don't know the opportunity that's sitting on there, it, it's pretty exciting. If you think about how much time and engagement you can get on in a great podcast compared to other mediums, I don't think there's anything like it. Like when we are talking with somebody and we'd say, like, if you do a great show and you lean into making something that's a value for the audience and it has a great story, <laughs> you can get an 85 to 95% completion rate on a half hour show over and over and over again. And you can see the jaw drop that because that type of time doesn't exist on YouTube or Instagram or TikTok or any of those sorts of things. And I think that amount of time is one of the superpowers of podcasting and, and audio is that's how relationships are built. And that's how you can talk about big, complicated ideas and get people to actually understand them. That's where people understand your values as a company. Yeah. I think that's a, a big one. I think the other one, maybe just for our approach is that we're very excited working with them uh, together as one team to work together where we're all bringing different areas of expertise to solve the problem for them and for their potential listeners. It's not like we're uh, we're going to go away and create our magic and come back with a show on a platter. It's we're all sitting around doing the work together and that we're passionate about it, I, I think helps a lot. And, and I guess maybe, you know, honestly, is that is that we've designed all of our processes for working with brands and third parties. It, I think when they talk to us, they can hear how thoughtful it has been done in terms of the strategy and the production and being able to accommodate things like compliance departments or regulatory requirements or legal reviews or whatever the, whatever those pieces might be. The fact that it's been designed that way, I think is makes it easy to say yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
And I'm curious, you have mentioned obviously problem solving several times here in the last few minutes. Already, Jesus. Um, (laughs) So I'm just curious when you think of the problem to be solved, and and I, I really love that you use that terminology because I believe that often in marketing and in, in life in general, we, we might say, Hey, we've got a solution, but we haven't really first determined what the problem is before we come up with the solution. And so really being clear on what it is we're trying to solve for is going to get us so much further ahead. Ultimately, we're going to end up with the result we want when we start with this clear basis. And I think one of the biggest challenges that I would see that brands would have in creating podcasts is how do you create a podcast that is engaging and entertaining you know, something people want to come back to time and time again, when it's brought to you by Morgan Stanley, what is compelling enough about that show that makes it not a 30 minute ad for a company that of course, no one wants to listen to. So I'm curious as these different brands come to you and you're developing these podcasts, what is that problem that you're solving? And of course, I'm sure it's different for each of them, but can you give us some examples of the motivation perhaps behind creating these podcasts and the development process you would go through to, to solve that problem? Yeah, sure. I, I, I think you're right. It's not a one size fits all and that recognizing that every client is different and you can't just have a templated, like, here's how to solve the problem is a really important part of it. You have to think about the audience as much as you're thinking about what your business goals are. And we almost think of it as like a Venn diagram where you've got very clearly, we know what the business goals are and we know what the values of the business are. And we know who the target audience, you know, and the, or the customers are on that business. And then it's a question of saying, what's the show that that target audience will voluntarily listen to because they love it, not just once, but something that they're going to come back to again and again, because it's creating value for them. And that's the strategy work that has to happen before you come up with what the show is. And I overuse this term a lot, but it, it, I think it resonates with people is the idea of creative bravery Mm. and helping infuse creative bravery in the program development concept Mm -hmm. for our clients is really important. And it's like pushing yourself to say, what is the best show that we can make? If we are going to think like a media company, it has to be a show. It can't mm-hmm. be a, an infomercial. It can't be a showcase for executives. It has to be audience first. And thinking about what's the show that only you can make that has your values or your knowledge or the things that people want that you can deliver and you're uniquely suited to deliver when you find Mm -hmm. that Venn diagram overlap, that's the huge win. That's the instant win where it works for both sides. And it's interesting. Like we've, I think it's a little bit controversial. I'm not super sure, but we don't respond to RFPs unless it, unless there's a really unusual circumstance. Mm -hmm. And it's for that reason is that we don't know what the problem is. Most of the time, most of the time it's a one page thing. And, and we started off early on, not coming from that universe. And so we'd get an RFP and we'd reach out and say like, oh, we have a bunch of different questions. Can we have an hour to talk? It's like, no, this is, everyone has to be treated equally. Just take the paper and that's all you get. And please come up with a bunch of show ideas. And we don't have enough information to be able to know what the right show is for you. And if we make a bunch of pitches or a pitch 
we might actually get into a strategy room and realize that's not the right show because we don't know what the problem is. Right. So we've got this piece where, you know, it, prior to COVID, we would go to a client's office to kick off and spend two to three days in a boardroom doing exactly that work of what's the problem we're trying to solve and what does success look like. Mm-hmm. And now we've figured it out into a series of kind of shorter Zoom meetings across the board. But that's, I think it's a great question because it's a really important part of that is figuring out what is the problem and how are we going to solve it with audio? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And do you find that when you're working with these companies that they tend to have an audio strategy period? I know we, and I feel more and more in this space, and I'm really curious to get your take on this, but as podcasting is developing, as it's becoming more mainstream, you know, this last week we've learned that Facebook is now jumping into the podcast space. Clubhouse has obviously made this big splash. And I am looking at the podcast space and I'm seeing it potentially morph into less of a podcast space and more of an audio space. So I'm curious, as you're working with these companies, are they really attached to the idea of podcasts or are they wrapping their podcast into an overall audio strategy? Uh, I think it varies. Like for the longest time, it was hard to even find people who knew what podcasting was and knew what the opportunity was. And I think we're at this point where a lot of people know what it is and they get the benefits of it. And then boom, Clubhouse shows up and now there's social audio and, right. sort of things. and now there's paid subscriptions uh, with <laughs> Apple and Spotify and all the, a lot of other places. And I think honestly, even from a brand perspective, there's different places in the funnel for an audio strategy. There's, there's audio branding and there's the audio advertising piece. There's what's your on hold music or on hold content. If you have phone lines, like there are definitely clients that think about that whole universe and want to have an integrated strategy. And I think there's some things that are evolving. So Mm -hmm. like on the audio funnel side, Charles Schwab is the first one that we've worked with. Just really smart thinking about that, where we have a show that we make with them called Choiceology with uh, Katie Milkman. It's about how to make decisions, how to make better decisions. And it's all behavioral psychology it's a great show that is not directly about finance or investing or any of that, even though decision-making definitely applies to all of that. That's their top of funnel show. It does really well. It really feels like Charles Schwab is the media company making a fantastic show hosted by an amazingly smart Wharton professor Mm -hmm. uh, who's an expert in Mm decision-making. And there's also a call to action. If you want to know about how this applies to finance investing, there is a show called The Financial Decoder that is also in there that is more of a mid-funnel show that has a very smart financial uh, guy who works at Schwab hosting that show. That to me is like one example of just really thinking smartly about like an actual podcast full strategy and not just a single show. I think we're going to see more companies having almost like their own network or slate of shows. But I will say like, you know, the things like Clubhouse or social audio it just feels like there are different needs that are served by real-time interactive audio that are different than podcasting and that brands inevitably are going to say there's an opportunity there that is not podcasting and we should probably think about both of those and it's probably not a copy and paste strategy it's uh i think we always talk about leaning in 
and, and playing to the strengths of the medium. And I, even though they're both audio, I think social audio and podcasting play to some pretty different strengths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And one of the things that you mentioned that is very fascinating to me is the engagement and the intentionality behind podcasts. So you had mentioned what other medium can a company create where they're going to get someone to engage with it for 80 to 90%, which tends to be over like 20 or 30 minutes that they're listening to your content. And one of the things that is so valuable about podcasting is that there are hoops that people have to go through to get to the content. So you essentially have gone through all of these layers of qualification. And then when you're there because you want to be, and you're going to listen to the information, you're going to listen to the content, and you're going to feel invested in that content, especially as you continue to listen to episodes. And for me, that value is so different than the value of most social media or even video, because I find that it's so... Even on Clubhouse, you can definitely say like, I'm on Clubhouse. I'm here because I want to listen to this specific conversation. But I'm curious, and it's probably too new, or maybe I've missed studies that have come out, but how many people are going on Clubhouse and just like popping into rooms, right? Oh, this looks interesting. I'm going to listen here for a few minutes. Oh, maybe that's not as interesting as I thought it would be. Now I'm going to go over here and listen to what they have to say. Now I'm going to go over here. So it's the the level of engagement. And I'm not saying, obviously, there are lots of very long conversations that that tend to be happening on Clubhouse. So obviously there's engagement there too. But I feel that what podcast does is it really, it sucks that person in, in a way that other mediums don't. And my concern with moving into a, a more broad audio space is that we lose that definition of the strengths of each individual medium. I'm curious what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, I think it'll be a question of if people try and say like, well, we're going to record our podcast in Clubhouse and then we get a two for one where we do social audio and podcasting. And I think that's the dangerous, I think it'll work for certain types of shows. Like for certain types of shows, I think it could be a win. I think when just to go back to a few minutes ago when you were talking about like how hard it is for a brand to differentiate themselves, or it's almost like the bar is higher for a brand when you're talking about jumping through hoops, any brand that puts out a show has got to also jump through an extra hoop compared to any other podcaster of, are you making an infomercial for me? And is this really a secret way to talk about how to become your customer or to buy something? Which almost doubles down on that creative bravery thing. Like you really have to make a show and you really have to play your strengths of what differentiates you in the podcast space. And sometimes that is... Brands will have budgets to be able to make better format shows or not better, but like more labor intensive and higher narrative driven formats that are going to be differentiated from a lot of talk formats. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that ports into Clubhouse. Clubhouse, I think you could say like, what's a differentiated strategy for a brand is probably producing a live event more than a show up and talk and thinking about like, how do you actually produce an event. There, there are lots of people who are amazing at doing, you know, and brands do all sorts of live events in physical locations. I think the next piece will be like, let's figure out how to do that in Clubhouse. And it, it's, I hope that when people go into it, 
it's leaning into the fact like we have to be extra good or extra differentiated because we're a brand doing this that we really have to earn people's attention and trust by showing them that we're being awesome and making a show that's really a gift for the listener. I love that. I love that. That's such a great way to look at it, that you're creating a gift for the listener and really ultimately they're creating a gift for their client. Do you find that most of the brands that you work for are looking for some sort of a direct return on their investment? Are they producing this podcast in the hope that they're going to somehow increase their sales? Uh, It's a really wide mix. I think the majority of our Clients are coming in at a at more of a top of funnel brand awareness, brand positioning piece of what do we want people to think of when they think about our brand? And that's an amazing place to start thinking about being a media company because just making shows around certain areas or topics and telling amazing stories and having the consistency with that, you you will automatically say, oh, that, that's the company that makes the show about topic X or that area, that thing where I'm learning about decision-making or how teams work or how disruption in business, like those are all things that I may want associated with my brand. And it's interesting thinking about, I don't know, like how to map those things. Like I think sometimes the default is, well, let's have our own team on and talk about all the things that we're interested in. And we'll say like, well, you know, you could do that, but you could also, because it's your show, you can invite everyone else on the planet who has an interesting story and everybody, like all the smartest people on the planet to come be part of your show. And they will help associate you with that in a much more authentic way than you talking about it as look at all the things that we're excited about. There's, there is definitely like a light switch that goes on. And, and when you can play audio, like when you make a pilot and you can play something for people, it's like there is a real magic in, and, and pride in making your own show that is something that you would listen to even if you didn't work there, where you can be passionate about something and think about what's the best way to get people excited about this or understand it. And you don't have to beat people over the head with who's making it. I think I, I, I overuse this example too, but I think most people know who makes Game of Thrones. It's HBO, but the Game of Thrones has nothing to, like there's no HBO executives in Game of Thrones there's no you know, HBO <laughs> plugs of like people subscribing to HBO inside Game of Thrones. It's like, but we know who made it and we're grateful to HBO. We know kind of what HBO makes because they do it consistently. And when you apply that as a brand and think like it doesn't have to be about us, it just has to be about the things that we're interested in and we should just make the best show humanly possible. That's a win. Yes. Uh, for sure, there are clients that want to figure out like, can does this translate into sales and after how long? And there's different approaches to doing that. And some of it is how many people end up on a podcast landing page and what kind of revenue gets generated from people who end up from there. There are, I think companies like Chartable have done an amazing job of delivering attribution marketing metrics where we can see what a marketing spend does for listening to a podcast. Like if you buy an ad on another podcast with Chartable tags on it, I can see how many of those people actually listen to our podcast. I can see how many people listen to our podcast and then go to a client's website. So I think that some of those traditional marketing measurements are here in podcasting and not a lot of people know about that and helping them understand how to actually track that marketing effectiveness and the the people who who end up from the podcast on 
a website or something like that is also really valuable for mm -hmm. figuring out the right way that they would like to measure ROI. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm really glad that you use those attribution tools because I think that I'm sure really helps. And I'm curious, and you may not know the answer to this, but what percentage of your clients would you say are running podcast ads as well as obviously producing these podcasts? Uh, a lot. And it's because we really strongly encourage it. Uh, oh, good. It was part of our playbook. Like, honestly, so I should, I should have said this off the top. So we have three big chunks to our business, which is, so the one is that strategy piece. We talked about it, about the solving the problem and figuring out what the right show is. We do the production, but we also do a lot of audience development and it's a really unusual area of specialty for us. And I think that's also one of the reasons why people come in and, and choose to work with us because we've been very nerdy about learning how to build audiences from zero in the podcast space. And again, brands have some real superpowers in doing this. They have budget to be able to spend. They often have very powerful large channels that they own to be able to market podcasts. And whether that's email newsletters or social or websites, it could be apps that they have. In one case, we worked with Mozilla. They had their own browser. <laughs> There's brands really, that's part of that problem solving too, is almost doing an audit of what are your brand's superpowers that you have for promoting shows that you might not even realize are amazing channels for promoting shows. But almost always the best converting thing is figuring out exactly the right other podcasts to go buy ads in and get custom differentiated creative and like real authentic host read ads on those shows where there's a match for subject matter, there's a match for target audience. We can put in chartable measurement. And, and when I explain this, it's going to be like, of course it's successful. But when you find the right show where your existing audience is already listening and the host that they already know and like and trust has listened to an episode or two of your show and tells their audience, if you like my show, there's a brand new show and it's a really good show. Trust me. And we can measure that effectiveness of how many people listen to that show that go listen to ours. It's a huge success. So it's almost like the we've, we've actually started doing media buying for our clients to help them do that effectively and to be able to set up and measure those sorts of things. And it's been very effective for audience development. <laughs> so I, that's great. Yeah. Very good. I'm so glad to hear you say that. And I think, yeah, so that I, and I am glad to hear that you, obviously these brands you're working with do have a lot of assets that you can leverage, which is incredible. So that helps with audience growth. But I find that a lot of times people produce branded content but they don't market or grow the show at all. So it's like they put all of this time and energy into creating a great podcast and then a hundred people listen to it. And ultimately, if no one's listening to the show, what kind of value is that show really providing to the company? Would you agree? Yeah, it's so funny you say that because you know what? When we first started the company, we did not have audience development as an area of specialty. And I think when you work in the media, you almost take distribution and audience for granted. If you have a broadcast frequency, there's a lot of people who are going to watch or listen to your content. And when in podcasting, everyone starts at zero. And I think we got really lucky with Slack, our first show, because it got a lot of press coverage when it first came out. There was a headline, I think it was in like Forbes or something like that. And that the headline was... Slack is making a podcast, comma, for some reason. And I'm like, this is the best headline ever, which is, <laughs> like, is this so is really cool. weird. 
why is Slack making a podcast? And so it did really well. And we're like, oh, this is really easy. We just make the shows and lots of people show up and love it. And, and then we got into space where we started making shows and they were good, but they didn't get that press coverage because it wasn't as new or novel. And mm-hmm. we tried to get them to activate things that were like, we don't own your social channels. We don't own that stuff. And it was, it was a great show and no one shows up. And so we've taken that creative bravery concept and turned it into a graph where that's one axis. And the, the, the other axis is commitment, which is, and we talk about it on day one, which is you have to commit to marketing this thing and you have to build an audience because otherwise you're going to have a hundred people who you're making their favorite show and no one else no one else shows up. I feel so lucky working with this guy and his team, Dan Meisner on our side runs audience development. And he has just developed an amazing suite of strategies and tools for doing that. And part of it is that unlocking that the superpowers of brands, but those are people that they're already reaching. Mm -hmm. And there's a value to that in that they're talking to a lot of people who probably haven't listened to a podcast before. So they're growing new audiences, but they're already audiences that are in the brand's wheelhouse. Advertising on podcasts is preaching to the converted of people who are already podcast listeners who are already listening to a podcast already about that subject matter. They're a much easier conversion and they're probably mostly people that are outside of the brand who's making it their reach. So you have to balance both sides of those, I think, to have an effective strategy. And honestly, it like you can't make a show without having a, a big plan like that. It's uh, to your point, if you build it, they will come. It's, no, they won't. Like you have to build it and you have to tell them about it. Because uh, if you don't it's tell them, about, no one's showing up to your baseball field of corn. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. It's in a cornfield. No one's going to find it. No, absolutely. And I, I love that. I love that. I could say that all day because I think it's totally true. People really feel that way. Um, and I'm really glad that you brought up Dan because as I was reading through some of the blog posts on um, your website, which by the way, you guys have some amazing blog posts. So definitely go check those out if you haven't. But I really was fascinated by the Paseo app that Dan created and this concept essentially of search optimization within podcast players. And I was hoping maybe you could just touch on that briefly. I'll touch on it briefly because Dan understands it much better than I I do. But Dan has done like uh, some really amazing work on several things. So there's the idea of search engine optimization inside podcasts uh, or podcast apps and thinking about what are the search terms that you want your podcast to be the answer for and how do you like how, how do you do that? And certainly some of that, honestly, and there's way more things than I have time to go in for, but like, honestly, it's everything from what are you naming your show? What is the description of your show? What are the description of your episodes? And knowing that some of it is going to be read by humans and some of it is going to be read by machines. And thinking about primarily the first bits before it ends up in the read more or cut off is humans matter a lot. But there's also a lot of room for making sure that machines know what your podcast is about and thinking like really being conscious about that and writing and designing to be make it easy to be found. The other crazy tool that Dan built is this neighborhood analysis thing where he has taken a lot of data around like what, if you listen to this show, what other shows do you listen to? And building a network analysis of that, visualizing it. So you can go look at a show or you can look at a category of types of shows 
And you see these little neighborhood clusters of shows that are all related to each other. And it means that they all have listeners in common with each other. And so you can see pockets and it, it might be, there's an NPR pocket of people who all listen. If you listen to one NPR show, here's the other ones. It could be, I'm Canadian, so I'll just say, it could be hockey podcasts. And they're, and at hockey podcasts, it could be, here are ones from broadcasters, here are individual team shows, here are fantasy sports shows, and all those sorts of things. So when you're making a show or you're planning on buying ads on shows, thinking about what's the neighborhood I want my show to live in and designing a show that's going to be an amazing fit in a particular neighborhood and differentiated than everything else in that neighborhood. But then you can go buy ads on all the other shows in the neighborhood and tell them about your amazing new show and make sure that when people are searching for those terms in that neighborhood with, you know, that you can see how it does in the Paseo thing to, anyways, it's, mm-hmm. it's uh there is art and science and uh, it's, I, I kind of love that mix. And Dan does an amazing job of thinking of fresh new ways to, to find solutions for it. I love it. I love it. The other thing that he had talked about that I thought was really great was the different categories that podcasts are released in. And if you're thinking, gosh, I could potentially release a show. There are some that are very straightforward, right? Okay. This is an automotive podcast. It should be in that category. That's, that's very clear cut. But there are some shows where it's, gosh, maybe it could be in this category or that category. And why not pick one where you could rank higher? So really, there is a layer of strategy that goes into place. And that's something that's really important for branded podcasts, but just podcasts in general, right? You know, how are you essentially maybe doing your due diligence and taking it a step further, um, you know, again, going back to that problem solving, what is the problem to be solved and how can you create your podcast or even modify your podcast at this moment to, you know, produce optimal benefits. And it seems to me like that's what you have perfected, which is really incredible. It's funny. I think there's like, just the thing on the categories is so interesting. I think Dan was saying, recently that the show 20,000 Hertz, it's an amazing show if you're a podcaster, just about sound. Um, I haven't listened to that. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. It's amazing. My favorite episode, if just as a recommendation is one called the bouge and it's about the sound in movies where, where like in movie trailers, where it's, oh, this happened, this happened, and then this happened. And then you hear the sound going, bouge. Uh, and you think <laughs> a whole episode about it. It's amazing. That's awesome. But I think they change their categories regularly based on what the episodes are about. And that's been an experiment you that they've done. are kidding. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's interesting. And then I think Dan actually also did some analysis on like, uh, again, what are, what are the least crowded categories? Like if you want to start a swimming podcast, you could be number <laughs> one very easily or something like that. So it's, it is, it, I find all that stuff really interesting of like, where can you be a big fish in a small pond versus yeah. a very small fish in a very crowded pond? Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, Steve, I know we need to wrap it up. It was so great chatting with you. I'm sure we could probably talk for an hour more and I hope that, that we can have you on the show again. If people are interested in reaching out to you, potentially maybe they're a company that would be interested in having you create a branded podcast podcast for them, or maybe just someone in the industry that would like to connect with you, where can they find you? Our, our website is great, pacific-content.com. We've got all the contact information everywhere there. And if anybody wanted to look at any of the, the weird Paseo podcast app search engine optimization or neighborhood graphs, whatever, it's all on our blog. I think it's uh, blog.pacific-content.com. 
Excellent. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And I'm excited to watch what you guys do because obviously you've been up to some great things. And as the industry changes, I'm sure that you will continue to create some greatness. Thanks. Thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy we met and this is a great conversation and uh, yeah, more to come. Thank you so much. If you want to learn more about how to be a market leader in podcast advertising, reach out to us at truenativemedia.com.